Welcome to the Born Unbreakable podcast. I'm your host, Coach Des, mindset motivator and lifestyle entrepreneur. From lost trauma, disappointments and devastation to healing hope and betterment, what has grounded me is my unbreakable spirit. We all have that spirit within us. Every week, I'm here to inspire you with stories of perseverance and growth. My mission is to help you crush self-limiting beliefs and to be unapologetically you. You are your only limit, so take action today. Let your unbreakable ride begin now. This episode is brought to you by Blue Skies Life, a lifestyle brand with high quality, ethical, and sustainable products. There are products for your mind, body, and home, everything from calming tea and luxurious shea butter to Turkish towels and silk kimonos. The holiday season is upon us, so start getting these one-of-a-kind gifts now. Go to blueskieslife.com, that's B-L-U-S-K-Y-S, L-I-F-E dot com and use code BU20 to get 20% off your order today. Welcome everyone to the Born Unbreakable podcast. If this is your first time joining, thank you so much for being here and choosing us to have a conversation with today. I'm really excited about my guest. Um, And also if you've been here the whole time, thank you. Thank you for continuing to to join these amazing conversations that I have uh, with amazing people like Becca Ribbing, who's on the show today. Becca is the author of the Clarity Journal, so we'll get to talk more about what that is. But just to give you a little bit of a sneak peek, the Clarity Journal is really about a roadmap for finding the answers to big questions that you might be getting stuck on as we often do in this complicated thing we call life. It helps us to get back in touch with what we want out of life and be intentional about setting goals, which I think is so important. It's often something I talk about on the show. Becca has been a coach for over a decade, and her mission is to help people break out of cycles of uncertainty and struggle that hold them back so they can get to the core of what they really want in life. So who doesn't want that? Who doesn't want clarity? Thank you so much for coming on the show today, Becca. Thank you so much for having me. I've been really looking forward to this one. Yeah, me too. I just learned too. Becca and I are both representing the West Coast today in uh, the U.S. So she's in Seattle. I'm in Las Vegas. So we've got the desert. We've got the rain. (laughs) We've got a lot of different, it's a very different landscape between the two places. Yeah, a a little bit of everything. But you know, but before we get into the journal, because I really want to talk about that and the power that it has, I'd love to for us to learn more about your personal story. So I'd imagine that there may have been times when you've been stuck yourself before you got to the place of helping other people get unstuck. So maybe take us back a little bit and share your story with us. Well, you know, I think that everyone gets stuck and I laugh because I'm not necessarily above it at this point. The Clarity Journal actually came from a period of time when I was stuck. And it was a period of time that I was already coaching. Um, I started coaching, basically I was in my 20s and I did what everyone in their 20s does. You know, they finish school, they think they know everything and they're like, okay, I'm I'm gonna be able to do this. This is great. Like I know what I wanna do got my first job out of college and it was good. Like I'm not knocking it like, but it wasn't what I thought it would be at all. Um, I very quickly realized my professors had no idea what they were talking about, about like real life job experiences. And, you know, so I went through this huge period of time where I'm like, okay, everything that I spent my last four years preparing for, this isn't really evidently me what do I want next? Like, where am I going to go? Like, how can I be more intentional about this? And as I was going through that period of time, I did a lot of reading, you know, like any of the popular self-help books from that period of time, I read them. (laughs) Um, You know, I came up with like 
my mission statement, my, you know, like just what makes me, me. And as I was doing that, I was also helping all of my friends because they were all in that same space. Everyone goes through that at some point in their twenties or pretty much everyone goes through that at some point in their twenties because we don't have the experience in the real world. Even if we worked, I worked all along like high school, college, I had outside jobs, but they weren't in a career field. They were at a toy store and a bookstore. It wasn't like the career field that I was going to go into. And so as my friends were going through this process of what do I do? What do I do? What do I do? I really started getting very good at helping them. I think that I've always had a passion for helping people who feel stuck. Um, I remember one of my formative memories was it was summer in Chicago. And if anyone's been to um, Chicago in the summer, you think of Chicago as really cold, but Chicago in the summer is hot and humid and it's definitely the Midwest. And so I was with, I was at a friend's house and my grandfather picked me up from my friend's house on the way home from work. And I can't even remember. I have a feeling the air conditioner in his car didn't work. I just remember it being so hot and he's complaining about work and how awful it is and just like kind of muttering and venting. And I'm sitting there, I'm like all of like probably 10 or 11 years old. And I'm just like, I ask because I'm naive and young. Like, well, why don't you just get a new job? And you know, he's in his late fifties, early sixties. And he's like looking at me like I'm an idiot. Like you don't get a new job. I'm going to retire in five years. Like, and I think that made such an impact on me. And I think most of us have had experiences like that with like much older people being like, well, you just stay in your job. What's your problem? Um, but it just was really eye opening. It's like, I cannot spend 45 years in something that is going to make me that miserable. And, and not that that first job out of college was making me miserable, but it wasn't my, it wasn't me. And I think that as I started helping everyone, I just was like, okay, this is it. I want to help everyone find what they like and get closer to their path. And I say closer for a really good reason, because a lot of times when we start thinking about what our life path is, what this journey should look like, we think we should have the answer for like 45 years from now, we still are in that same mindset as my grandfather was. It's like, you have one thing for 45 years, like stop complaining. Like you think that like, if I can just figure out what that is, I will never have to go through this painful process of uncertainty again, but it doesn't work that way because we're growing and we're changing all the time. Anyone who is listening to this podcast, no one is listening to Born Unbreakable because they have no interest in self-development. <laughs> like we're always <laughs> changing and growing and any experience that we're going to go through you know, it's going to be cool at the beginning. And then two, three years later, it's no longer going to be a challenge. It's no longer going to move us in a direction that we want to go because if we kept staying there, it would be stagnant. And I think the thing that most people run into is one of two things. If they are in that space and they're feeling stagnant, they want it to change. They want a promotion. They want something to change for them and they don't feel much agency over it or if they're trying to figure out what they want they spend so much time focusing on the end goal that they don't recognize that like who the heck knows where you're going to be in 20 years like i love the clarity journal and i think that it can really help move you forward it is not going to tell you when you are 22 what you're going to be doing at 65. <laughs> Um, because I love this, Becca. I love this so much because I, I truly am on the same page with you. And I think the mistake that we make is having this prediction faux pas, meaning, well, part of it is indoctrinated into us, first of all, when we're younger, from society, from the environment around us saying, this is what life should look like. 
You do one, two, three, and these are the outcomes that you get, whether it's your career, your relation, what, what relationship you should be in, what you should or shouldn't do with that, marriage, children, all of these things that suddenly if you don't do those norms, you are now the outcast on the sidelines well, everybody else is normal and you're an alien, right? <laughs> so, so part of that is your, you finding you and, and also this notion of when you choose something that it's for eternity, because to your point as evolving human beings, we shouldn't probably be choosing something over and over again in the same way. I mean, maybe it's even the same passion, the same career, the same arena or industry, but there's probably even within that other things that ignite your, your, your interest and your direction with that. And I remember distinctly when I did get a promotion one time, when you because you mentioned that, one of the trainers in the session said, Okay, now, now you're whatever your new title is, right? What got you here won't get you there. And that totally stuck with me. Right. It won't, right? Like you, you now need to exercise different skills, right? different you know, strengths, or maybe even get out of your comfort zone to do a different task. And the same goes for two years from now and two years after that. And etc. So I, I just love the way you painted that, you know, the arc from sometimes this unreasonable expectation that we place on ourselves that you're just going to have it all figured out just because well, you went to school, right? right. Well, and I think it's also, um, it, it really plays into our society has such a hard time with perfection and perfectionism. And even if you don't consider yourself a perfectionist, I invite you while you're thinking about this to actually really evaluate whether perfectionism is playing a role in your life. Even if that's not, even if you know people that are more perfectionist than you, because I think that it really ties into that. Like the idea that like, I need to know what I'm doing for the next 30 years and it needs to be perfect. That's unreasonable. But if you can be really open and honest with yourself about what the path should look like, then you can string it together a lot better. And I know there's going to be someone listening to that, like thinking about their friend who changed jobs, you know, 10 times and now they're in a bind because really they've never stayed anywhere longer than 12 months. But that's different too, because that isn't usually mindful. That's usually driven by anxiety or driven by circumstance, but it's not usually driven by really sitting down mindfully paying attention. I find that when someone has moved from job to job to job to job to job, it's like the uh, they think they're being mindful at the time. But when I hear their stories about it, there's always, I didn't like this job, so I moved. And I can tell they convinced themselves that the next job was the right job instead of before even looking for that next job sitting down and being extremely mindful about what they want. I sometimes yeah. joke that a big part of my job is talking people out of taking jobs because, you know, when you are stuck in a job that is miserable and by the time people get to me, a good deal of them are just miserable. Like they've waited too long and they need a job, a new job now. And that's a really bad space to be in because you're going to, because the, I don't want to say it. it's like the, like what's going on in your imagination when you are in a job interview, you are going to just assume that it's going to be better. You're going to ignore the warning signs. Like we all do this. We have all done this on a date, right? You know, you're kind of lonely <laughs> and <laughs> you get, you're like on a first or second date and you're like, maybe this isn't that bad. Like you're trying to pretend this isn't that bad. You're trying to like, okay, I can work with this. But when you're dating, you know, if you get to like a date four and you bounce, it's not really a big deal. However, if you are, 
you don't get to date number four before you take a job and that job you really should stay at for a year. So it's a big commitment. And I find it funny we don't talk about that more. It's a huge commitment to take a job. And I wish people were choosier. <laughs> I'm hoping oh. very much like with everything that's going on in the employment field right now, I am hoping that people are naturally getting more and more choosy. It seems like people are getting naturally more and more choosy, but I think it'll really depend on how the labor market goes like in the next couple of years. Yeah, no, I, I agree completely. I think that is that is happening. People are getting more choosy, but I want to go back to something you said, because I think there's someone listening right now that can relate to this. And it's this going to school because that's there. There's I went to school. You went to school. We learned probably a lot in school. Like I am proud of that time of my life. But there is a little bit of a gap between school and real life. Like I, I think back to college and I think about all these awesome classes I took from philosophy and history and economics, political science, you name it. They were cool. And then when I went in the world, the applicability of some of the things, it was more that was knowledge for my consumption to be a more vast individual in, in those topics. But it wasn't because I was taking skills that I've acquired to now go apply them somewhere. I felt like it was being in certain clubs, working through college, the skills that I acquired through those kinds of interactions and experiences that more so, I wouldn't say perfectly prepared me, but maybe better prepared me than for actual school from actual school itself. So why do you think this, I'm calling it a gap. There might be some person that calls it something else. Why do you think there is this sort of difference between what you get taught and then how it works when you go in the world and like you said, are trying to figure out what you really want to do? I think, I think there's a couple layers to this. I think that most of the time our teachers are in academics and so they haven't done nearly as much jumping from thing to thing as the 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 society at large. I think there's also a bit of like our teachers are usually significantly older than us. They're not usually also like in their like say late twenties. They're most of my teachers probably were at least in their late forties to fifties and sixties. And I think that there is a bit of a disconnect because you do have a lot of options when you're in your forties and you have a PhD and you know, um, I remember in school, a lot of the jobs that they would talk about when I was an undergrad certainly would have required a master's degree and there was never, Hey, so you should just stay in school and get your master's degree. So then you can do these jobs. It was like, Oh, look, you could do this. You could do that. You could do that. And it's like, eh, no, you, you, you could do that on a path, but then they never really talked about how to get started on that path. Like that. Yes. They would talk about internships. Internships were like, we were browbeaten about like, you need internships, you need internships, you need internships, but there's something very different between getting an internship where you are offering to work for almost nothing or for nothing and college credit than like actually getting a job where they value you enough that they're just going to pay you a living wage. Um, so I think there's just a, a big disconnect in this that, that can be overcome, but it takes a very specific mindset. And I think one of the things that I run into a lot is that you know, and I, I you're probably be like oh yeah i've done that before when you are especially in your 20s you're like oh i want a mentor i wish i had a mentor i wish someone would mentor me instead of recognizing i want a mentor i need to go find one it's that same like you want it ha to happen to you and i'm going to tell you a lot of times people who decide they're going to be your mentor, you don't really want them to be your mentor. Like they've got their own agenda. They've got, you know, they like 
possibly being bossy and telling people what to do. And like, they're not really there for your growth. However, if you, the people that I know that like have done this the best, it's like, you actually ask people, you go on LinkedIn, you not necessarily ask them to be a mentor, but like, Hey, can, I'm thinking about going into this. Can I pick your brain? So many people will say yes. Now, not everyone. It's probably only like 20%, but no one's going to be like, how could you have possibly emailed me? They will just ignore you because they're too busy. <laughs> and um, if that's that could happen, that's not too bad. Right. And it's like, but, and then also having more than one person that you can go to for advice, because if you have more than one person you can go to for advice, that's really knowledgeable. That means that you're not substituting one person's person's advice for your own intuition. It means that you are much more able to get, gather information and synthesize it for yourself instead of staying kind of under someone. Yeah. The word that comes to my mind when you're saying, when you're saying this is initiative and also intentionality. I think it's this notion about the, well, the difference between things happening, you know, to you, like you waiting for this omnipotent thing to happen and get bestowed upon you versus you taking responsibility and ownership and interest in doing that exploration and that investigation. Yeah. Yeah. And so that brings me to the moment you decided that the birth needed to happen for the clarity journal. (laughs) So talk to to me about that. Oh my gosh. It was such a funny story. So it starts out the way a lot of stories start out. Like I was in a bad space. Um, I was pregnant with my second child and well, I'm going to back up. I'm going to, start about a two years before I wrote the clarity journal. Um, I was pregnant, pregnant with my second child and I had a bad chiropractic adjustment and I ended up having to use a cane half of my pregnancy and which was totally shocking because my first pregnancy, I was one of those glowing people that did yoga every day and like other pregnant people hate like, cause I was just like so glowy and happy and like, more flexible than I had ever been before. <laughs> and then like the second, the second pregnancy, I'm like using a cane off and on. I'm in a lot of pain. I'm cranky, not glowing. <laughs> and, and then we moved from Washington DC to Seattle, Washington in my third trimester <laughs> while I had this injury. And, and then the poor kid, he's delightful and wonderful. Um, but when he was born, he had a lot of ear infections. So he had, he was just in pain a lot of the time and he was very cranky and it was just like a rough, he had a rough go of it for like the first year and a half of his life. And so I was underwater. Like by the time he was like a year and a half, I felt so underwater. And so like I'd given up so much of myself just to get through. And I think that probably a lot of people that are listening to this as we're coming out of the pandemic are like, oh, I have been just trying to get through this for so long. Like you give up a lot. And so I was coming out of that space. I was, I was coming into, okay, I have more space. He's better. Like life is feeling, I'm getting more sleep. Life is less chaotic and I mean, still chaotic, but less just brutal. And, and I did what everyone does in that, in that space. It's like, it, I, I didn't know I was doing it, but we all need that next challenge, right? We all need that next thing. It's not enough to just be like, okay, I'm coasting now. This is okay. It's like, okay, but I am biologically wired to grow. And I, uh, so I was talking with a friend and going back and forth because I finally had more space for my business. I'm like, what do I want to do? Like, how do I, I had given up a lot of things in my business during that period. And it's like, what do I want to do? What do I want to do? And what I kept saying is, I don't know. And I invite everyone listening to this to think about what their phrase is, because a lot of times when you're asking a question 
and you're stuck, you're actually repetitively asking the same question over and over again, almost like a mantra, and it keeps you in that place. And I, my friend is great. She's awesome. Um, she finally, this was like probably the 10th conversation. finally was like, okay, Becca, you're a coach. This is actually what you do for a living. What would you tell your clients? And I did that big sigh and I got off the phone really quickly and I went and wrote down every question I could think of that I asked my clients. And I, that in like the first hour I came up with like probably 30. And as I was going through and writing them down and then going and asking myself them, I realized there's so much power in just having someone help you reframe how you're looking at the problem. And those questions inherently get you out of that rote, like stuck question that you've been asking yourself and help you look at it more expansively. And so one of the things I discovered while I was doing that is that I'd really let go of my writing during that. I had had a blog and I had a, I had a really cool um, mindfulness web website. They had 90 authors writing for me and I had to have let it go because I could not maintain that and my coaching and this adorable kid who needed to be out of daycare all the time. Um, oh, the, the kid, yes. <laughs> there's a child. There's, there's a child. I need to keep this kid alive. <laughs> <laughs> and um and so but the but the clarity journal it's like it will help you with whatever it is that you're just not in touch with because i find so often when people come to me and they're like i don't know what to do next there's usually the thing they think they should do that everyone else thinks is safe or everyone else is like, Hey, you like, this is the thing you're doing great. Like, this is the thing. And the problem is it doesn't feel great to you. And so then, but everyone else is, that's what you're getting the positive feedback for. And so there's this disconnect. And then there's usually another thing or two that is in the back of your mind that keeps nagging at you, but because no one's giving it praise, you don't even let it see the light of day. You don't even really explore it because you think you should be trying to figure out, even if it's subconscious, it's all subconscious, but you're trying to figure out how to make the thing that you've been told is the right path work. And so it's really my job both in coaching and in the clarity journal to help people kind of break out of those patterns and really figure this out for themselves and take back control over their dreams. Wow. That's so, oh my gosh, that's so powerful. And you know, it, it, as you were talking, I was, I'm sitting here thinking what I've experienced and, and I, this is why I love having this conversation with you from coach to coach and working with people and, and really listening, right? Because you, as a coach, you spend more time, you well, you should, right? Spend more time listening than you do talking because it's that's the person's opportunity to explore and, and actually take a time out because most people don't take a time out to even think or fathom what they want in their life is that people are afraid of, the, of themselves. Because to your very point, what is the reason that me or you at some point, or maybe even now today, I, I still am guilty of this sometimes, or others ask other people for validation? Why do we do that? You know, we like, hey, you know, do you think it's a good idea if fill in the blank? Hey, I mean, part of the act of doing that and the, the behavior of doing that is to get the approval for lack of a better way to say it of others because then other people are saying hey like do this you should do this hey you're pretty good at this seems like maybe that's what you should do but there's but then there that's everyone but then there's you and the, the, I think we we face this thing where instead of asking ourselves 
the questions that you're talking about from the Clarity Journal, we're spending time asking other people because it's easier that way. Like, well, if other people can tell me and I don't have to tell myself, then I don't have to be responsible for my own actions. That is such a good point. And you're right. I mean, even as a coach, I find myself doing that at times, you know, because it is at a certain level easier not to take the responsibility for it. And I think it's kind of human nature. And what's really needed is to be mindful about that is what's going on so that you can take back control of it. So you can actually like at a certain level, recognizing all of this is the biggest challenge. Like once you recognize it, it's easier to move forward. It's the fact that we just do it automatically without challenging ourselves. Mm -hmm. So one of, one of the questions that I have for you is about mindful productivity, because I think what's great about your journal is asking yourself these pointed, thoughtful questions so you can dig in. But one of the things I wonder about is, so there's that kind of deep reflective moment in time, but what about some things that we can do mindfully every day? So it's forming habits of making sure that we stay in a space of ownership and accountability and being proud of our actions that we choose to take every day and saying, yes, I chose to do this today and I love it. I'm happy with this. You know, how, how do we get to this space of mindfulness? Oh, it's such a big question. The, I think, I think that as Americans, um, and I'm reasonably certain that most of the people listening to this probably live in English speaking countries. And I find that it's the same thing in most English speaking countries is that we're so fixated on the end goal. Um, we really aren't you trained to think about things mindfully. And so then when we learn about mindfulness, the end goal of mindfulness is to be able to clear your mind. However, if you are just focused on that end goal, you are missing the point of meditation. You are missing the point of mindfulness because the point is to be able to notice everything that's going on inside, everything that's going on outside, and use non-judgment, use like the space of non-judgmentalness to be able to observe and still be at peace. And that's how you let it go. And, but if we focus on the letting it go, and that's what we're really working on teaching. I mean, and I don't think, I think any person that's a like meditation teacher or yoga teacher would say these same things, but I feel like I say it a little bit differently because I like, because I am saying very explicitly, the end goal for us as beginners cannot be to let things go. The end goal for starting out on any mindfulness practice is to be able to notice from a place of non-judgment. Like right now I am hearing a, um, someone's decided to mow the lawn. I hope you guys can't hear it, <laughs> but you know, and I think that like those little annoyances, like, I think that I, you know, I could be like stressed out. Oh, I hope they can't hear it. Blah, blah, blah. Like yeah, I could be in my head about it or I could just notice it like, and be like, okay, well, I like, it, I have no control over it. And most of the things that we have judgment about, we have no control over, um, or like external things. And internally, when we react from a place of judgment, like, when we're talking about productivity, a lot of times we're talking about procrastination, right? Like a lot of times we're talking about like, I want to be doing something I'm not doing. But and I'm watching the fifth episode of this Netflix series instead, because you right. know, exactly. why not? Exactly. And, um, and I feel like when we really focus on procrastination as a problem, instead of simply a symptom that's trying to tell you something, it makes it so much harder to fix because then you start fighting yourself. I'm bad. I shouldn't have done this. Or I sh like, or as you're doing it, I should be stopping and yet I'm still doing it. Being able to really hit that point of mindfulness, like being able to be aware of what's going on, 
before you start trying to change something really helps, I think, because a lot of times when we are feeling like we need to be more productive, quite frankly, most of the people that I hear be like, I wish I was more productive. When I talk to them, they are productive. They're not great at prioritizing their own goals. They're not great at prioritize, like at doing the difficult thing instead of the easy thing. And so, you know what? Like, yes, you may have watched five episodes of some season on Netflix, but you also may have cleaned the kitchen. You may have organized some papers. You may have I knitted something for your sister, whatever. And those are also things that, well, I mean, I guess knitting something for your sister isn't necessary, but all the other stuff is somewhat necessary. However, like if it's not moving you to where you want to be, what's really needed is to be able to see where we're holding ourselves back. Because I find that a lot of times when we're talking about this dynamic between goals and productivity, a lot of time you're talking about the beginning of a project or when you're stuck, like where you've done something and now you need to move to another level and you don't know how to do it. So either way, it's like you're feeling like you don't actually have all the resources or all the knowledge um, I use taxes as an example a lot because if you think about it, taxes, we do them once a year. So we don't practice it enough to ever be good at it. It changes slightly every year. So even our previous knowledge, we can't just assume is right. And so how many people do we know that procrastinated on their taxes? Probably almost every single one of them. <laughs> and But it makes yeah. sense. Because it's not, <laughs> like you're not a CPA. If you liked taxes, you'd go be a CPA. And and but when we're going for our goals, we run into a lot of the same things. I'm going to take podcasting is a really easy example for me. Like if you, I'm not a podcaster. I just go on a lot of podcasts. And if you were going to start a podcast, you know, you have to figure out what microphone to use, right? And quite frankly, you're probably going to get the wrong one. Like you're going to get one that you're like, ah, this wasn't as good as I thought it was. Like I read all these great reviews. This sucks. Ah. Like there's learning how to audio edit. There is learning how to do the publicity and then constantly making the publicity better and better iterate, like iterating upwards to like a really good thing. There are literally millions of podcasts that have two or three or seven episodes and then they stopped. But I think someone told me that mo like the average number of podcasts that if, like, if you took all of the podcasts worldwide, the average podcast only makes it to episode seven. But if you think about how much learning there is in those first seven, your seventh is still going to probably suck. But <laughs> <laughs> like, but you're almost there and you just dropped off like seven episodes too early. By the time you get to your 14th episode, you're going to have a lot of this down. And you, but then you also still need to iterate. I see a lot of podcasts where it's like they're doing still the same marketing that they did at the very beginning. And then they complain, like, I don't understand why this wasn't more successful. I've got 50 episodes. And I'm like, well, okay, but you also need to like, make sure that you're constantly changing. So if you're going for any big goal and you're worried about productivity, like you really need to actually be constantly going from the end in mind and making sure you don't drop off too quickly and also making sure you change things that aren't working. Yeah. And it's an iterative process is what, you know, I, I'm listening to you say, I think we have a lot of impatience <laughs> in approaching new things because it is very much attached to what you described as perfectionism of if it doesn't look like this, then it probably is not worth it. You know, this is, I don't have this, this many people listening to my podcast, right? I don't, you know, and it's anything is daunting, whether it's that, whether it's a podcast, starting a new job, maybe it's a side hustle, you know, maybe, you know, what, whatever it is. And I, I think it's, it's, you get easily overwhelmed, you know, with this whole process. Um, but to, to your point about mindfulness, 
because I do believe it's something that takes practice to do it well. Like I've talked to many people, close people that are, that are friends or family, and we'll talk about taking some time to meditate. And many will say, I can't meditate. I just can't because I, I'm thinking. How do you how do you not think? Because that's what we're just wired to do. And uh, for I know for me personally, I catch myself. A lot of it, like you said, is awareness. Like I'll I'll go often. One of my forms of of release relief is massage. So I'll try once a month. If 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 I can more than once a month, awesome. But I will find myself in this quiet time that's supposed to be my hour or my 90 minutes that I'm going through some sort of checklist in my head of like, okay, wait, but then after this, don't forget you have to do that. And then, okay, the weekend's coming. So just make sure you do that. The laundry, did you, did you fold the laundry? I mean, like all these things just, and then I'll be like, wait, what am I feeling? This, this was meant for me to feel Relax. This was so I sometimes go through that loop just in, in that kind of moment to to try to come back to that purpose to center myself of like what is my body feeling? Am I you know releasing the pain? Am I releasing the stress? Am I you know? And it's but it is a difficult. I, I've at least found in the beginning and even sometimes now that sensation of how do you quiet your mind? <laughs> Yeah, I think you don't. I think you don't aim for quieting your mind. You aim for being aware of your mind at the beginning. And you also aim for like, you know, I joke, but it's real. Like we make everything more complicated. I learned how to meditate from a 13 year old girl. I was 12. I was living in New Jersey, not the coolest place on the planet. She was from California and she talked like a valley girl and she had long blonde hair and she was awesome. She was visiting her aunt for a week and I had definitely had a girl crush. And she had had a Buddhist monk come into her school and teach meditation. And so I don't remember anything else about her visit to her aunt that week. I know I spent a lot of time with her, but I remember so distinctly us sitting in her aunt's kitchen and being like, all you do is sit cross-legged, put your hands on your knees, and then visualize the breath going in and out. I think that might be all she said. And like, but there are beginner's guide to meditation books that are 300 pages long right like when you go take a meditation class it's like two hours long like it's almost like we make it more complicated before you even start and then of course you're gonna get in your head about it you've been told all these things that really aren't necessary for the process like sure maybe they will help you deepen it i'm not saying there isn't value to them but i don't think there is value in that first time you sit and so if anyone has experienced what I am talking about, where like someone has made it too complicated, literally don't set a timer, please, for the love of God, just do this for as long as you want. Um, sit cross-legged or on a chair, put your hands on your knees and just picture the breath going in and out and in and out and start there and then if you find relaxation in that then you can go in deeper into the rules and stuff if you want but like you don't need it that is all you need some people will just say one two like count their breath in count their breath out and just keep saying one two one two people use like um mantras but it's like it doesn't need to be complicated the point is to bring peace that is so i'm sitting here breathing with you <laughs> i know it's intended to be some sort of special session but i'm i'm breathing in i'm closing my eyes and and you're right it's it's funny because well now we've got this technology too right like i'm, I'm wearing the watch and it and then it's, it reminds you like hey 
did you do some mindfulness today? Are you breathing? And I'll be like, oh, the breathing thing. I like the breathing thing. And I'll push the button and it's, but because it kind of vibrates, and it's, I, I do do that. I'm like, okay, I'm moving in. And it's only a short time, but it's funny how it will happen when I am right at a high peak point where I'm like multitasking, multitasking, one email, I got like one earbud in, ah, uh, you know, and I'm like, okay, I'm just going to take a minute. And it's so crazy. Like I take a minute and I'm, I, I come back and I'm like, oh, this is not that bad. I kind I of should. wonder, I've never thought of this before, but I wonder whether the watch notices when your heart rate's going up and asks you to breathe. That could be. I don't know. I know mean, it makes sense because that's what, like what you're describing. I'm like, that's exactly when you need to do it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, and, and cause that's what I, I do find. And then I come back to, it is true. You do have to do all these things, but you could do it one at a time. Because we self-inflict a lot of our own anguish. I, at least I know I do. I, I create the, these astronomical timelines and, and things that nobody else knows about. Like if I didn't do them, nobody's going to call me up or, or scold me because they didn't happen. It's just me. <laughs> I just wanted to do it because for whatever reason or rationale that I came up with that I needed to get 18 things done today. And I got done like four, um, you know, I, I, I punish myself for that. Right. <laughs> and I go back and it, you know, the remaining 14 things go on the list for the next day or the next day or, or whatever it is. And then the cycle sometimes continues. But I think the point is we, we have to spend more time becoming self-aware. Really not just answer. here and there, but frequently yeah. throughout our, you know. Well, and I know. think that we also like, like how often if you're stressed out, then you snap at your husband or you snap at your partner or your kids. Like, I think that we often feel like we should be able to do all this without recognizing that no one can like if you are multitasking a lot you're putting your brain through a lot of stress like it is hard to then react when little things get put in your way it's hard to react the way you actually want to mm -hmm. so how can someone get this clarity journal because now the per there's a person listening going I need to ask myself these questions. It would be who of me if I started to do this now as opposed to later. So the Clarity Journal is on Amazon. It's easy to find. You can just search Clarity Journal. Um, you can also find it on my website, which is BeccaRibbing.com. So B-E-C-C-A Ribbing, R-I-B-B-I-N-G. And on social at the same. Awesome. I, I just think it's great. And I wish I had it when I was 22 and graduated from school and trying to figure out what to now do with this, you know, fancy thing that was on my wall and <laughs> all of that. Um, but it took some years and some time and some experiences and some dips to, to figure it out. <laughs> well, I think that's it. It takes experience. Like yeah. you, you, when you're starting out, you're starting out, you don't have the experience to filter through. Yeah. So don't, don't beat yourself up <laughs> if you're listening right now and you feel like you don't have the, all the answers, because I could tell you that even years later, yes, still don't have them all. <laughs> you just give yourself a little bit more grace and know the questions to continue asking yourself so you can go on the journey to move through change right because that's it is a continuous you know process because I, I don't think anybody wants to be the same person that they were right. a year two years five years ago right we want to be a the evolving person and a better 
and best version of ourselves as we, as time goes on. I so recently heard, oh, I was gonna say, I recently heard favorite person. Like you want to be your favorite person, at like the, the favorite version of yourself. And that is totally iterative. Yes, I love that. Favorite person. Yeah, and we need to start talking about ourselves more kindly too. I think we, we get sometimes into this habit of focusing on all the things that you want to fix, you know, or whatever it is. And, and um, we, we have to be more kind to ourselves. Um, but I, I do want to ask you a few questions sure. to let those listening learn a little bit more about you. So my first question is, what are three words that best describe you? Okay, so the first word is going to be joy. And it happens to also be my middle name. And I really like have always a lit on it. I feel like my parents did me this huge favor when they made that my middle name. Um, curiosity and empathy. I love those words. Have you ever seen the movie uh, Inside Out? Oh, such a good movie. With that joy and yep. all, all, all the emotions, obviously. I thought about that when you said <laughs> that word. Um, do, does anybody call you joy? No. No. That's a thing. But yeah, it's, uh, I've often thought like if I go be a romance writer or something, I'm going to like use that as like a pen name because I love, so now you're going to know if you come across a joy, like something, something joy. Yeah. Uh, but I, yeah, I do love it. I love that. Ooh, that's good. That's good. That could be in your, the next chapter of your life is when you're writing, writing those kind of novels. <laughs> um, okay. What is something that you're working on improving? Oh, that's a big question for me right now. I am working on setting boundaries better. I was listening to a podcast, not a podcast. It was an Instagram reel. Um, shoot. I can't remember what her name is. Um, she's a, a, family therapist and she was running this class that I was like, why do I feel like I need this class? But I like, I saw it and I was like, I need this class. And it was entitled setting boundaries and rage. And I don't really consider myself ragey, but I was like, but something triggered me. I was like, Oh, and it was really a cool class. Cause she was, she started off with like, she was like, this spoke to you. And I also want to just affirm that if you are here, you're probably not actually raging, but the lack of boundaries just naturally makes you angry. And the more you can really focus on boundaries within yourself, like it is an act it is like the most important act of self-love is to make sure you have good boundaries. Wow that might just be a lesson for someone listening today thinking about boundaries that they may not have been setting or want to set right it's challenging. or comfortable they're just not comfortable setting them and when they a lot of times i think one of the things that while i'm going down this process i think that when we think about setting boundaries I'm a fairly strong person. When I told my sister this, she's like, what do you mean you have a hard time setting boundaries? <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, well, I do because like my way of setting boundaries is basically to get louder, right? Like, like if someone's not listening to a boundary of mine, I raise my voice. Like I may not go full on rageaholic, but like raising your voice is not actually setting a boundary. Um, walking away from a situation is a, is a boundary um mm -hmm. like one of the things that i've learned is um like if someone's not respecting a boundary of yours you do walk away and then the next time you come together you don't just act like it's business as usual you don't just um like like act like it didn't happen like the first like if they're starting to try to talk to you 
you're like, okay, that's important. And I want to talk about it, but we need to go back to the fact that like, I was asking you to give me the benefit of the doubt, or I was asking you to be kinder and, or I was asking you to meet me in the middle and compromise and you weren't hearing me. It's been really powerful seeing it at work because it's just such a different paradigm um, than I was taught as a kid. Oh yeah. Big time. I think having that honesty in a respectful yet direct way goes a long way. So that's big. Okay. Uh, what is a self-limiting belief that you've had to overcome? Oh, you know, I don't know whether this is like a great one, but I've had to overcome the idea of that. I don't like being physically active. Um, I think that it was a self-limiting belief. And I think that really like paying attention to what physical activities I actually enjoyed and really just leaning into those instead of like being on the couch and beating myself up, it's like, okay, well I can do this 20 minute thing that I, that I actually do like, or is going to give me energy. Yeah, that's great. Finding, finding what you want to do right. with that, I think is awesome. Okay. What is one thing that you want to see changed in the world? I want women to feel listened to more. I think that we all have a hard time getting our, maybe not all of us, but like, I think a lot of us have our hard time getting our voices heard and then we give up. Amen to that. Yeah. <laughs> Amen to that. I think that is a, Sorry, I didn't mean to end it on such a deep note, but (laughs) that was profound. Yeah, but that, but I, that would be a a really great place. You know, I think removing the needle and to to see it move even further would be would be tremendous. Okay, what is one of the best pieces of advice that you've ever been given? not take it as seriously like I I know I've been told at various points if I was really upset to not take it as seriously as I was taking it I don't think that advice works well from other people and yet I think it is good advice because when you're in the thick of something if you're really stuck in that and you're taking it too seriously you're perpetuating it yeah that is so true Oh man, that is so true. I love that advice. It's great advice. So Becca, how can anybody listening find you, follow you, keep up with what you're doing? Yeah, you can find me on my website, Becca Ribbing. Um, I mostly use Instagram and Twitter. So those are, you can you can find me at Becca Ribbing on at Facebook, but <laughs> I don't use it that much. Um, and you know also you can always email me i'm like realizing like i was talking about that parenting class i if some anyone is like wow i needed that too you can email me too it's my emails on my website that's fantastic your website has it all my website has it all there's a one-stop shop you know Mm -hmm. it's like all in one place that's great we'll make sure that's in the show notes is there anything that you're working on that you want to share or what's next that you might want us to get a sneak preview so i actually talked a lot about it without mentioning the name um i am working on a book right now called mindful procrastination and it's all about what i was talking about like really like the noticing and kind of being able to be more like self-compassionate and understanding while recognizing how you want to move forward. And if you're, if that's interesting to you on my website, um, on the tab that says books, there's actually a little sign up. You can sign up and get on the notification list when it gets released. 
What? That's awesome. I definitely encourage you to go to Becca's website and get on that list. This is this is an area of ubiquitous work. <laughs> I think that that I can attest to. Uh, it's just hard, right? Yes. Like you know, the being mindful, and we we live in a society, uh, arguably, and not not just in America. I think around the world, where there is there is a desire to produce and have results in some way, whether it's personal that's just for you and your own fulfillment, or whether it's for a group or an right. organization. And there, there's layers to it, right? Because we're part of different networks and different circles when you think about it. There's us as an entity and there's everything that we affiliate ourselves with. And so there's a, there's a lot of layers there in terms of our, our ability to be mindful and contribute. But this, this has been a, an eye-opening conversation, you know, for me, because it's, it's, it's also just a reminder of what takes continuous effort. So I'm so grateful for you giving the time today out of your busy schedule for us to talk about all of this. Thank you so much. This has been really um, a wonderful conversation. Awesome. Well, I'm excited to continue following you. And I know that those listening feel the same way. So check out Becca's website and I'll make sure again that the information is in the show notes so you can follow alongside me to stay tuned with what's coming up, especially the book. I love it. Thanks so much, Becca. Thank you. Becca Ribbing, author of the Clarity Journal and coach great conversation and a lot of wonderful moments of little epiphanies that I had throughout our conversation. So there's two takeaways that I have for you today as you're reflecting on the episode here with me that I'd love for you to take with you. And the first one is around boundaries. I love that she brought up boundaries and working on that. I think it's something that we can always revisit how we're doing with that. So I want you to ask yourself, how are you doing with boundaries? Are you setting the boundaries that you need to with people around you? Meaning taking your power to ensure that you're preserving your peace to get the most out of life. Sometimes it's difficult to do that. Whether it's people we love that are near and dear to us or even people that work with us or even strangers, the boundaries of things like saying no or speaking up and saying what you won't tolerate. I suffer from people pleasing and so it is difficult for me to exercise sometimes boundaries. So this is much this is as much advice for you as it is for myself. Okay, so that is the first one. The second thing that I would love to invite you to work on today is this concept of mindfulness. I love the way that Becca highlighted, it doesn't need to be this grandiose, extreme meditation situation if it's not your jam. It's mostly about bringing yourself to consciousness and awareness and being present with yourself. Being present with yourself. So if you take a moment right now, close your eyes, and ask yourself, what do I need more of today? Let's start with that as our mindful moment. What do I need more of? And let that come to you. Feel your body, listen to your thoughts, feel your energy, and give yourself that answer that will look a little bit different for all of us. Maybe it's rest. Maybe it's fun. Maybe it's food. Maybe it's relaxation, quietness. Maybe it's writing, reflecting. Maybe it's connecting. 
connecting with somebody that matters to you. Whatever it is, it's yours. Take the time and give yourself more of what you need. That is really what it means to be mindful. It is not just the, you know, sit for 30 minutes and painfully <laughs> try to clear your mind. Although I think there's there's a lot of merit in being able to work up to uh, those types of meditative practices. So with that, wow, we are really closing in on the end of the year here with just a few short weeks left before we head into a new year. I want to really take this time to thank you. Thank you for tuning in. Thank you for being a part of this journey. Like Becca talked about, we grow, we evolve, we change and you have been on this ride with me. If you've listened to my other podcast that I did with my good friend, Gina Marie, uh, Bliss Beyond Fear, and you've joined me on the road of Born Unbreakable, you, you've seen uh, this journey and I appreciate it. I appreciate your support. If you want to leave a review, you go on Apple Podcasts, you can give a star rating and write a quick review. I certainly would appreciate that. And most of all, remember, you are your only limit. So take action today. Thanks for tuning in. I'll see you again next time on the next episode of the Born Unbreakable podcast.